Excellent. Thanks, Dan. And um, yeah, good to be with you this morning and good to add my welcome to those in the room as well. Um, welcome to you guys. Good to see faces, even though behind masks. Long to see smiles. Um, I'm going to assume you're smiling. Um, <laughs> and it's good to be together and online as well. If you're here for the first time and if you're a guest, if you're new to church, you're new to this whole Christianity deal, welcome to you. Welcome church family and so on. Um, we're starting a new preaching series, um, not this week, but next week. Um, in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament called Courageous Faith. And so more will be said about that, obviously, next week. But today I just want to focus in on some, um, I guess, fairly well-known words of Jesus, if you're um, familiar with the Bible or with Christianity. And um, they come in Matthew chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible, be turning to Matthew 16. We'll get there in a moment. Um, but the story up to this point really is um, Jesus has come on the scene, burst on the scene, if you like, um, and started to make these uh, audacious claims um, about himself and doing out, you know, things which some consider to be outrageous and, and incredible and amazing. And many people are now following after this figure of Jesus. And, and he's called these sort of 12 disciples to himself as well. And uh, he's starting to build a, a community that is centered around him and his teaching, who he is. And we come to chapter 16 in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, and it's quite a pivotal time from um, verse 13. I'm going to read from there in a minute. It's quite a pivotal moment in the gospel, really, and we'll come to that later. Um, where, but here, Peter makes this um, confession uh, of Christ, of who Christ is. So we're going to read Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18. Okay, so if you've got a Bible, read along with me. It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, who am I? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, this, and others Elijah, but still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I want to focus in on the words there of I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church. Um, obviously, it has all sorts of connotations for people. For some people, really positive connotations. For many people, it might not be. It may be negative things. It may be as people look back in history and see things that have been done in the name of the church through history, atrocious things, appalling things, things that certainly people were not following Jesus in at all. But nevertheless, they've been done and been associated with the, the Christian church, with Christ's church. So I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church, but what did Jesus mean when he spoke these words? What did Jesus mean? What was he saying? What was he aiming at when he said, I will build my church? Uh, where we live in Norwich in Trous, we've had some building work going on next door to our house for about the past um, maybe three, four years now. Kind of forget the time scales. And um, so during that time, and, and it's fairly obvious really, but I've observed um, a, an empty field. Now there are houses that, that people are moving into. We've got new next door neighbors. And we've seen this process of building. And there's a few things I just want to sort of draw out in relation to what Jesus says here with, I will build my church. 
in relationship with what we need if we're going to build something. What does it mean to build something, and what do we need when we're building something? And the first thing is this. If you're going to build something, um, you need a designer. You need an, uh, you know, an architect. You need someone who is going to kind of take the lead on it, as, were, as it were, and, and shape this thing. In fact, architect means chief builder, the chief builder, the one who is in charge. And Jesus says here that this is him. I will build my church, I and my so who is Jesus, and how can he, what gives him the authority to say those words? Well, he asks that very question, doesn't he? Who do you say I am? Which raises the question for us all, well, who do we say Jesus is? Who is he? Who do we say he is? How would you answer that question? Well, the interesting thing about these verses are that Jesus asks this question with, in, in a place called Caesarea. And Caesarea had these had a temple, it was known for the uh, temple to the, 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 the god um, Pan, a god of nature. Um, but also there was a, another temple that was built there. Um, I can't remember if it was the same one kind of converted, as it were, or a different one. But like, imagine this backdrop, this kind of 22-meter-high temple that's been built and dedicated to Caesar, to the ruler of the Roman Empire. And it's against this backdrop of Caesar and the power of Caesar, if you like, and the glory of Caesar and the glory of the Roman Empire, the backdrop of these other, um, you know, just some of the Caesars were like, well, we're God. You want to bow down and worship him as Lord. And it's against that backdrop Jesus makes this claim. Even in our culture, it's against the backdrop of many different religions and philosophies and different ways of living and different claims by people to say, well, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. It's against that backdrop of people following after all sorts of people. I don't know about you, I, I try and kind of work out what's going on in our culture a bit and watch various people, and Russell Brand is one of them. And it's just interesting to see a journey of him with his YouTube channel. He's gone from being kind of this great com well, comedian and uh, communicator, sharing sort of, I think he's got, is it 3 million followers on YouTube now or something, 11 million on Twitter. And uh, he's gone from kind of sharing stuff and these podcasts, interviewing interesting people, He's now got another channel called Awakening. Interesting um, word he's used there, Awakening, where really he's now starting to lead people and shepherd people, and he's now starting to form a community. So why not just go and follow Russell Brand? Why not just go and follow someone else? Why not these thousands of people who are saying, we know the best way to live, we know the way to God? Or even that there is no God. There was a, a church that's been going on in the UK and maybe further afield called the Atheist Church. And that's, that's a thing. And people are gathering to that. They're gathering around an idea and teaching and people. And it's against this backdrop that Jesus makes the claim, or makes, um, drops this question, who do you say I am? This carpenter from this backwater town. And what makes Jesus any different to anyone else? Has he just got a massive ego? Because some of the claims he makes, like I said, are kind of outrageous, really. He puts himself on equal par with God. This word, my, in this verse, my church, is the Greek word there is ego. And we all know what an ego is, don't we? We talk about people being egocentric, I-centric, me-centric. Well, Jesus pointed to himself. Is it just because he's got a, an infl overinflated ego? Or is it more than that? Like I said, he makes himself to be equal with God. People questioned on him this. They said, how dare you? How can you make these claims? 
And so it's fair to say, who do you think you are, Jesus? And in um, verse 14, you know, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some the prophet, probably pointing back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, around there, where it talks about another prophet like Moses would come, listen to him. And so the people are kind of grappling with this deal. Who is this Jesus? And the answer to that question really matters. It really does matter. And what I love about the story of Jesus is is that he doesn't seem to rush the disciples. He doesn't seem to put pressure on them. He invites them to come and be with him, to walk with him, to, to listen to him, to see what he does. And then here it gets to the point, who do you say I am? But before that, they've been walking with him. They've been working it out. And I want to encourage you, if you're kind of grappling with this, spend some time with Jesus, as it were. Read the Gospels for yourself. He doesn't sort of put us under pressure but he takes us on a journey with him and says, walk with me for a bit. So read them, observe, question, because it really matters. And Peter gives the answer here in verse 16. Peter says, you're the Christ. He's speaking about you're the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You're the one that was promised to come that would be the, 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 the ultimate Moses, the ultimate David, the ultimate Joseph. All these characters in the Old Testament point to who Jesus is, the one who would deliver his people out from slavery, just like Moses did, but speaking about something which was far more expansive that would go to the nations for all people. This is what Jesus claimed. He's the Son of God. He speaks about his unique relationship with God. One commentator put it this way. He said, when, when Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God, he says, in English, you're the answer. You're the point. You're the last word. You're the meaning. You are it. Not in these others who are maybe making these claims, but in Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't rebut Peter's answer here. He doesn't say, oh no, Peter, let's lessen it. There's lots of ways. He receives it. Jesus, the one who was dismissed as crazy by his family, condemned as a criminal by his enemies, deserted and denied by his friends, is the one who said, I've come to ultimately reveal God to you, to bring you back to God, where that relationship is broken through our turning away from God to our own ways. He reconciles us back to God. Jesus is the one who said, I've come to build people together, to center them around me, that point, you know, like in all these other views and worldviews, and even around Russell Brand and what he's doing, people are centering around him and his teaching. And Jesus unifies people. Jesus unifies people from massively diverse backgrounds. There's this beautiful unity that Jesus brings to his church through who he is. And he builds us together into a community, into something solid. I will build the church, Jesus said. I will build this a community of people. This is what God has always worked for. We see right through the story of the Bible. It's God with his people. That's the end game. That's the end of the story in Revelation. God with his people. So Jesus is the architect. You're going to need an architect. If you're going to build, you're going to need to be alive. That might sound like a completely obvious thing to say. You've got to be alive. But I've noticed on the building site next door, the builders that are there, they're alive. And I'm kind of glad about that. Or it might be a bit sort of zombie-ish or something. Okay, but they're alive. And you need to be alive. And Jesus in verse 21 in this chapter, if you go on and read, says, I must suffer and be killed. Well, hang on, (laughs) a dead architect, a dead builder ain't much good. And the disciples knew that because after Jesus' death, they scattered. It was like this, what Jesus was building, bringing these people to himself, suddenly got blown apart and there's a load of rubble on the ground. And it's a mess. Well, that's not much of a building, Jesus. Everyone's deserted you. Everyone's gone. 
Where's this community that you're building? Where are these promises? How are they going to be fulfilled now? Well, Jesus goes on to say, I must suffer and be killed, but I will rise on the third day. The resurrection is foundational to the the building of the church. These, as it were, scattered ruins of the disciples' lives who, I don't know, had had their their, their world shattered through Jesus' death on the cross, this one who promised so much and claimed so much. It's as though these stones start coming back together again and we start to see the church emerge. It's not a human enterprise. The church isn't built on, on, on sort of clever leadership and human ingenuity and human cleverness. Jesus is the head of the church, and the Bible says he's alive. He's the architect who's alive. And the third thing you need if you're going to build is a foundation. Again, I've noticed they've been putting foundations in. Thank God, because I don't want these houses falling on our house. And, Peter says, and Jesus says here, on this rock I will build my church. Well, what's he talking about there? He's talking to Peter, the word rock, Peter, Petros. It's what the word rock means. Does he mean on the person, Peter? Like literally on Peter? And that's kind of where you get the line of popes in Catholicism and so on, that it's literally on Peter as a person. Well, it's, it's certainly not completely not Peter. Is it on just the confession of Peter, on what he says? Well, yeah, that as well. But I like the phrase I came across in one commentary. said, it's the pointing Peter. It's the Peter that not only speaks about Christ, but points people to Christ. And we see that in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This um, disciple who kind of messed up, yet pointing to Jesus and the teaching he gives and who he is and he teaches him. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, the apostle Paul writes this letter and he writes about building work. He writes about how God had helped him be a master builder. And he talks about the foundation. He says, there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ. He is at the base of everything we do, which is why we make a big deal about Jesus. It's why we sing about him, while we talk about him, while we pray, while we share, while he shapes our lives. It's why we make a big deal about him. Colossians talks about this, says, when you gather together, um, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Is the message of Jesus dwelling richly among us? Is it making its home among us? Not just on a Sunday gathering like this, but in our homes, in our life groups as we gather together. He is foundational to everything that we do. And Christ-centeredness is the key to building healthy church life. You get the foundations right, what you build on top of it goes well. If your foundations are wonky, buildings get wonky. We stay founded and focused on Jesus. So if you're going to build, you need an architect. If you're going to build, you need to be alive. If you're going to build, you need to have a foundation. And if you're going to build, you need materials. And then we've seen lorries coming in, materials that were not there before, who've come in on these trucks and so on, and houses have been built. And the Bible talks about living stones in the church. The church isn't a physical building. It is people. And God takes people, people even like Peter, who just a few verses later on in verse 22 was to start to correct Jesus when Jesus said, well, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter's like, hang on, that's not in my plan. Um, The Messiah, you're going to be this one that the Old Testament has spoken about. And you're going to suffer and die? That doesn't seem to be there. And and, hang on, if you're going to suffer and die, well, what about your followers? Because I don't really want to be facing that kind of deal. And so Peter, in his incredible human wisdom, seeks to correct Jesus. Not clever. And yet, 
Later, he was to deny him as well. And it's this Peter that Jesus says, hey, Peter, you've got a key part to play in this. Yes, you. With all your flaws and your weaknesses and your mouth that you shoot off sometimes without speaking, yes, you, you've got a part to play in this. These are the materials, those who feel flawed and fail and feel weak. And yet, by grace, we take hold of Jesus' words a little bit further down when he says, if you want to come after me, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. These are the kinds of people that Jesus, is used. Jesus uses, these living stones. There are no superstars in the church here at King's. We're just ordinary men and women who are trying to follow Jesus. You don't build church around some gifted, charismatic leaders or anything like that. You build church around Jesus. And then he makes us living stones and gives us the grace to then live it out with one another. This is the materials. You know, if we were all gathered in the room together, we'd be saying, everyone, well, you can do it. You can do it if you're in here. You look at one another. You're the material <laughs> Jesus uses. And he will use, and he'll build you into this family. He will build his church, and he calls us to play our part. If we're going to build, it's going to get tested as well. These houses, weather is going to come. I hope an earthquake doesn't come. Floods might come. They nearly did actually this year in Trous. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But buildings will get tested. And Jesus encourages the disciples here who faced serious opposition. He says the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What's he saying there? Well, the gates are kind of an imagery of strength. And containment, they, they keep things out and they hold things in. That's what gates do. And Hades is the kind of the, the realm of the dead. That's what it was known as. These are kind of strong gates. It's kind of like the place of the powers of death. There was like no coming back when you passed through these gates of death. The gates of Hades. What on earth can kind of stop them? They're powerful gates. And yet... As we just heard, Jesus on the cross didn't stay dead. The resurrection foundational. Jesus is saying basically that nothing in this world or the next can overthrow or stop the church. I will build my church, Jesus says. The gates of Hades, these seemingly the strongest powers, will not be able to stop it. Fact is, the Roman Empire that seems so strong, this temple is in ruins in Caesarea now. And the Roman Empire's gone. Empires have come and gone, and the church has plodded on, following Jesus, spreading from people to people, from nation to nation. It's carried on. When attempts have been made literally to stamp it out through the persecution of the church and, and the killing of Christians, many martyrs, yet it still spreads and it still rises. And we see it today in China, in the Middle East, apparently some of the fastest growing churches today are not in the West, they're in the Middle East. The global pandemic, COVID, it's not going to stop it. I remember reading one article actually on, on this you know, early in the pandemic saying, oh, will the church survive COVID? <laughs> thinking, just read history a little bit, please, and just see what the church has come through. It hasn't stopped, has it? We've wonderfully been gathering. Thank God for technology. We can gather online and things like that, but life groups... The life of the church doesn't consist in an hour on a Sunday. It's part of it. But it's way more than that. It ain't going to stop it. Our prayer is we come out of this stronger. That's our desire. That's our prayer. That's our expectation because Jesus said he'll build his church. And he's going to keep doing it. 
So it's going to get tested. But finally, if, it's going to, if we're going to build something, then at some point there's got to be a visibility and a tangibility about it. If, if they'd have said they're going to build these houses next door to us and they'd shown us these grand plans and ideas and pictures and everything, and four years on, nothing's there. You think, well, really? It's kind of all talk. You want to see something, something tangible. And the church is made visible in the world through these concrete communities, these local churches established. It's estimated... Um, at least my first Google search, it was estimated anyway, was 37 million churches in the world today. 37 million. Now, again, that doesn't make what we believe true, just because there's lots of people who believe it, right? It's not that simple. But the point is there are these concrete communities who are centered around Jesus, who are saying yes, and billions of people who would say their lives have been deeply changed, not just by words on a page, but by a genuine encounter with the person of Christ. Are they mad? What's going on there? We've got to be able to answer, how did the church even start? How did it exist? How did it come through the Roman Empire with that persecution, with it trying to be stamped out? There's a visibility. It's solid. It's tangible. There's something you can point to. And Jesus said that, actually. He said, look, it's, it's our relationships with one another that really matter. The, the, their love for one another will speak volumes about what the gospel is, about who Jesus is. And we try to capture this visibility and gather, grow, go. If, when Dan's been standing over there, he's got it behind him. Gathering friendship and family, this beautiful one-anothering, love for one another. The church is a family. And it's wonderful to see that worked out through kings in all sorts of different ways. We talk about growing in character and gifting. This is about becoming uh, more like Jesus, looking more like him. It's having the courage as well to be um, uh, to, be, to, be, to be faithful to following Jesus and not just trying to be fashionable to the kind of fads of the world and the different things that are going on. It means standing up sometimes and people not liking what we say. Well, when I read Jesus' words, I don't kind of like everything. It challenges me. But it's people that grow in character, grow in the gifting that God has given them. And they use that for the benefit of others, to serve one another, to go in mission and service, to point other people to Jesus, to try and help other people say, look, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. This is what he's done in my life. And we serve people as well. We, we, we give our lives for other people, just like Jesus did for us, at cost to ourselves. We've said many times here at King's that when we do things, we don't ask, well, what's going to be good for us? That's not our first question. It's how do we love and serve other people, even if it costs us deeply? And it's, again, wonderful to see that worked out across the church in so many different ways. Jesus will build his church. He's the architect. He's the one who's alive. He's the one who's the foundation. He's the one who calls us as materials, if you're a Christ follower, to be part of that. And yes, it's going to get tested, but the church will come through, and it will become more and more visible throughout the earth and throughout the nations, because that's what Jesus said he'll do. I'll build my church, and he's doing it, and he will do it from this generation to the next generation and to the next generation until he returns. And if we give our life to Jesus, believe me, we give our lives to the church, to him, to his body, his people. And that's why being part of a church is so important. Being bedded into a church family, again, with all its flaws and failings and weaknesses and times where we've got to bear with one another in love, the reason it says that is because we're going to have to do it sometimes. But we keep following Jesus through it. We keep loving one another deeply. And if you're not a Christian, I just encourage you, spend some time reading the Gospels for yourself. Read about Jesus. Look at what he says. 
Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Maybe get in touch with us. You know, I'd love to engage. We'd love to have a conversation with people and meet people and engage with your questions and so on. Or maybe you're new to Kings and you've been gathering online. I know a number of people have kind of started to gather with us online through this season. And if that's you and you want to know more about us as a church, well, hopefully now in June, we'll do a thing called Connect. We'll do a couple of them online. And, and if you want to know more about us as a church and how you can become part of things here at Kings, then look out for that as well. And I just want to say a thank you to those at Kings who have given themselves year after year for doing what Jesus is doing and getting on board with that in building the church. I'm going to pray now, and uh, I think, Dan, do you want to lead us in communion? Shall we do that now? And then Kev will lead us in a song and, and, and a moment to focus on Jesus there. But Dan, if you lead us into communion now, but I'd just like to pray for us first. Lord, I, I want to thank you <laughs> that you've said you'll build your church, that, Lord, that pressure is off us, as it were, to try and make something happen. <laughs> but, Lord, I thank you as we all make a big deal of you, as it were, as we focus on you, that that's what you do. You just, you just build the church. You draw people in and from different backgrounds. And you build us together in relationships with one another. And, and thank you, you're going to keep doing it from this day. Thank you, you've brought us through this season over this year. And you're going to bring us through, Lord, and out of this season and into a new season here at King's Jesus. And we thank you for the way you've been speaking to us about that and leading us in that. And just want to pray for you to continue to do so in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Dan, all yours, mate.